Okay, we're going to start with the verse in 1 John. Now we're going to look through two or three places, and then I want to bring it down to some, something really quite practical for you. We're just going to have a look in 1 John in uh, chapter 4 and uh, verse 7 and 8. And we want to share on accessing the Father's love. We're going to talk about that, the how-tos of that shortly. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But the one who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. The Bible doesn't tell us God is power. The Bible tells us that God is love. His nature is loving. Heaven is filled with His love. Everything He does is moved out of love. Notice what it says, that to if we know God or if we have experienced Him, to know God doesn't mean you've got information about Him. To know God means you have experienced Him. If you have experienced the love of God, the outcome is to love people. The reality of your relationship with God is revealed in how you treat people. Hence, he tells us, notice what he says here. He says, everyone who loves God, who loves is born of God. We tend to think if they prayed the sinner's prayer, well, then they're born again. They're born of God. Well, praying the sinner's prayer is the first step. But what he's saying here, if you know the person who's experienced the knowledge of God will become a loving person. It will overflow. In fact, it says, even if you can't love the person who's next to you, how can you say you love God? Because God is love. So we want to talk then about experiencing God's presence. We're going to look in, first of all, in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. Now God's presence is everywhere, but it's not manifest everywhere. So we know that the Bible tells us God is everywhere. There's no place you can go. We can get away from where God is. So it's not like God is a long way off. What we feel is we don't feel him near us or we don't feel his presence or we don't experience or engage his love. So uh, we wonder what that's like. And so uh, Moses in this uh, Exodus 33, God has taken the people out of the slavery in Egypt and now God is uh, going to enter into an engagement by marriage with them. And this is what he says in verse 14. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses had a deep desire and hunger to live and experience the presence of God constantly. This is what he hungered for. He had had an experience with God at one time, and he's hungering. And so out of this desire for God, God responds to him and said, my presence will go with you, and there's something will happen as a result of it. When you encounter the love of God, when you learn how to enjoy and live in his presence constantly, there is always an evidence for you. Here's what he says, there will be rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So we can encounter God and experience Him in many ways, but there's always certain things will accompany it. Here's some of the things that accompany it. One thing, if you are living in the presence of God and enjoying experiencing the presence of God, God's love for you brings a rest in your heart from fear of what's going on outside you. 
I've been in some very, very big churches in, in Australia, and it's interesting that among the younger generation, when they came up for prayer, here's what the most common issues that they came forward for. Number one, anxiety or fear. Number two, depression, a sense of despair. And so even though they were coming to church weekly, they weren't learning how to live as in the presence of God because God promises that His presence will bring rest for you. That means we'll free you from anxiety. We'll free you from waking up afraid of what today holds. From Free you from anxiety about money and about your relationships and about what's happening. God's presence, when it's manifest in our life, produces something in our life that's tangible and real. And that is, you can be at rest when there's a storm around you. As soon as you lose that place of rest, you know there's something's wrong. You have lost contact with God and you've now become absorbed and caught up with what's around you and you've lost your peace. In fact, one of the most easy ways that you can tell something around you is not right and that you need to take to take stock of what's going on is if you lose the sense of inward rest and peace. Some of you maybe have never had inner rest and peace because of things that have happened in your life and you're tormented by spirits that keep you in a state of anxiety and agitation, well, that's a part of your life that God wants to enter and bring rest. And so it may be in the area of your relationships or whatever it is. God's presence will always bring something. In Psalm 16, it said, God's presence brings joy. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. So one of the evidences you are living in God's presence is that there's a peace around you. You're not agitated by everyone else being stressed out. A second evidence is there's a joy in your life. Jesus was incredibly joyful. In fact, they say, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says he was anointed with joy more than anyone. He was exceedingly joyful person. In heaven, it is full of joy. And God's desire is heaven come to earth and you and you be a joyful person. I've seen a lot of Christians and they don't look very joyful. They don't laugh much. They don't joke much. They're not, I think, you're so boring. You know, you should be laughing. Everywhere I go, we laugh. It doesn't matter where we go. We laugh. We, we have fun and enjoy our life with God. Why not? It's supposed to be that way. Where the presence of God is, there is a joy, an inward joy. And you can celebrate what God is doing. Here's another thing you find when the presence of God is manifest. In Acts 3.16, it says, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, God's presence brings refreshing to you. That word means, suppose you had an asthma attack and you're (gasps) struggling to breathe like a hardly breathe. (gasps) Oh. Oh, that's better, Ah, much better. I can breathe. In other words, instead of feeling tight and tense and restricted by what's around you, God's presence causes you to be refreshed. It takes away the tiredness. It causes you to be bright and alive. And fourthly, God's presence brings an awareness deeply inside you, you are loved. You are of immense value to God. The world around us strips us of value and worth constantly. And so we need to learn how to access the presence of God and His love so you can be refreshed day by day, you can come to peace day by day, and you can live in joy day by day. Let's have a look at Jesus' experience of that. 
And we find it happens in Luke chapter 3. And uh, Luke chapter 3, we read in verse 21 and 22. And uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, all the people were baptized. And it came to pass, Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended in like in a bodily form, like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Now, I want you to see something in that passage there. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hasn't done any public ministry. There's not been a miracle done. He hasn't gone out anywhere and done any great message or anything like that. And when he submits to the waters of baptism and gets baptized in the Spirit, a number of things happen to him. The the thing that stands out the most is this. His heavenly Father imparting love and blessing to his life. He said the heaven was open. So the first thing he got was access to the heavenly father. He had personal access and freedom of access to God. You and I are granted in Christ that same freedom of access. We have access by faith into the presence, the grace of God. So the first thing he had was free access. Second thing you'll notice was the touch of God came on him. The Holy Ghost came on him and touched him. One of the things about a father's father's blessing and a father's love, it involves touch. So often people are afraid, men in particular are afraid of touching. But Jesus was never afraid of touching people. You find wherever he went and he ministered to people, he laid hands on them. He touched them. When you touch something, someone, it's a connection with them that releases blessing. Jesus constantly felt the touch of his father. I can think growing up, only one time in my whole life my father ever told me, ever actually hugged me. He was of a generation that came through the war and they were locked up in their emotions and so they never expressed love in a physical way. It was always by doing things or providing things. But the thing that was missing was physical touch and words. So notice in Jesus' encounter with the Father, this is what happened. He had free access to come into his Father's presence. The touch of his Father came on his life, a loving touch. And then he heard words, words of love and affirmation. I remember being in City Harvest in Singapore and we had a thousand young people there. I said, how many of you ever heard your father say, I love you? And I looked around and five hands out of a thousand went up. What is so difficult that fathers find it hard to say to their children, I love you? And that is, it's like food for the spirit. And the father's role is to establish the identity of a child to build confidence and establish security in a child's life. And it's done through access. Father needs to be present. Father needs to engage his children. You can't be absent and engage your family. You've got to be with them. So one of the things Jesus got was free access all the time. When the people left him, he said, it's okay, my father is with me. Daddy is with me. I'm not worried about what you guys do. See, it brought an immense security. 
He lived constantly aware of his father's touch and aware of his father's affirmation. And what was the father's affirmation to him? This is what the father said, you are my son. We have a generation who don't know the father's love and have never experienced a natural father's love. So many have grown up in broken families or have grown up where the father's been cold or abusive or distant or unable to communicate love. But Jesus came to reveal what God is like. He said, I have come to reveal the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm so aligned with Him that what I do is just like the Father is doing it. So notice what the Father said. Oh, this is, you're my son. It's very personal. You're my son. Second thing He said was, I love you. I love you dearly. That's what our Father in heaven is like. I love you dearly. Hasn't done any work. Because relationship and affirmation comes before ministry. All your work for the Lord needs to flow out of your intimacy with Him. If you get it wrong and you put the work of the Lord before intimacy with the Lord, very soon you'll be behaving like a servant, a slave, and be resentful that you're having to do so many things. That's what happened to Martha. She got frustrated and resentful and angry and critical and tried to manipulate Jesus, but she just got busy doing so many things because she never placed a priority on being accessing the presence of Jesus and letting him talk to her personally. This is my beloved, you're my beloved son. I love you. I am delighted with you. I haven't met any person yet that told me their dad had ever said that to them. But that is, there was a supernatural impartation of love to him that enabled him to be secure. If you follow Jesus' ministry, you find things like this. The first time the devil comes to him to attack him, the first thing the devil does is, if you are the son of God, if you're a child of God, prove it. You turn that stone and make it into a a piece of bread. And Jesus said, no, ministry and power is for the purpose of meeting the needs of people, not establishing who I am. The word of my father establishes who I am. A lot of people today are struggling with insecurity because they've never heard God say, you're my dear child and I love you. You are precious to me. I can only find five in that whole group of a thousand that ever had their dad say they loved them. He loved them. That's tragic. I don't doubt it won't be much different here. So what is the effect then if you grow up in a family and there's no father there or the father there is cold or distant or absent? What, what is the effect? Something is not imparted and built inside you. So now you're going to go looking to find that somewhere else. You look for it in relationships. I need you to love me so I can feel okay about who I am. Or we look for it in business working hard to get a lot of money so I can feel okay about who I am. No, you won't. You'll never have enough money to feel okay about who you are. Or, or people look for it in, 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 uh, in, in all kinds of, in position. 
I need to be a cell leader so I will be important and people will notice me. But then once you're a cell leader, I need to be a whatever's above a cell leader, a zone leader. Or I need to be near to the pastor. But that goes on in businesses. You have to look around and see people maneuvering, maneuvering, maneuvering. You know why they're maneuvering? Because they're often, they haven't got a father that accesses them freely and regularly that says, you're my beloved son. I love you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'll help you. You know what else the father did? Father gave him the Holy Spirit, which is power to succeed in life. The father gave him the Holy Spirit. He said, my own spirit will be always with you. No matter what you endeavor to do, I am with you to work with you. So Jesus said, I do the things only I see the Father doing. Because that's what leads me to success. And people said, why don't you stay and do this? He said, no, 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 no. Now I do what I see my Father doing because I am the Father one. I've come not to do what I want to do. I've come to be aligned with my Father. That's why He's pleased with me. I've learned to live as a son. And I'm secure as a son. In John chapter 13, it says Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And he knew the Father had given him everything. And he knew he was the Lord. He knew who he was. And then he knelt down and he just took the disciples' feet. He began to wash them. Now, now, and you never see that happening. Important people bowing down to less important people. You do that if you're secure. You do that if you have an internal access to love. You don't need the approval of people to tell you who you are. You have the Father's approval. Each time the devil attacked Jesus, he attacked him over his identity. Who are you? If you're important, if you are the Son of God, well, do something great in ministry. Do something to impress people. Use your ministry to be important. Or jump off something, do something spectacular so people will notice you. Or he said, why don't you worship me? I'll give you everything you want. And every time Jesus stood on his father's words to resist those attacks on his identity, even at the cross, oh, you're the son of God? Come on down from the cross, show that you really are. Then Father, forgive them. So when you look at this encounter Jesus had, it was an encounter with the love of his heavenly father. Notice what it meant, free access all the time. What else did it mean? He felt the father's presence and love all the time. What else did it mean? Every day he heard his father saying, I love you. I'm with you. I'm pleased with you. Every day he would talk over with the Father what the plans were for the next day. And every day there was an empowerment of the Father backing him up. Can can you imagine if you're in a playground and there's a big bully there and the big bully's very intimidating to you so long as you think you're on your own. But if there's a big bully in the playground and your daddy's there and he's much, much bigger and much, much stronger, listen, don't give me a bad time or I'll get my daddy onto you. 
See how your whole confidence would change in the face of attempts to intimidate you if you knew a loving Father is with me. And even no matter what happens, it's all going to work out good because my Father loves me and He's for me and He'll help me. And even if it looks bad, He'll turn it for good. What confidence it would give you. What inner strength it would give you. And when people do weird things like criticize you and run you down, instead of getting angry and running them down and creating a fire, say, Father, forgive them. They've got a very limited perspective. Bless them. See, that's how Jesus lived his life. He lived his life out of the Father's love. So I never had to look for it from someone else. But most of the people I know, even in church, are looking for something outside them to fulfill them rather than get fulfilled and filled inside with God's love for you and with your relationship with Him so you have an overflow to give wherever you go. You are literally an overflow of the life of God. That's how God intended us to be. Many people run from the presence of God. They're actually hiding from love. If we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it said, Adam and Eve heard the sound or the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, and it said they hid themselves among the trees. Every day, Adam would meet with his father and they would talk and father talks about what he'd done through the day and they talk about what they're gonna do the next day and there was a flow of love and now this time, Adam didn't turn up for his appointment. I want you to see three questions that God asked him. Three questions I'd like to ask you. Three questions you could ask someone else. Here's the first question God asked him. It's the relationship question because God is interested in relationship before your works. Religion is all about filling our life with works so we'll please God. That was the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. That was his problem. He worked hard, but he didn't know that he had a father who loved him. He didn't have to work so hard. He needed to learn how to receive. So here's the first question that God spoke. He said, Adam, where are you? Imagine God is up in heaven. And here he is. It's time for my appointment with Adam. Adam, where are you? Now, it's not like God can't find him. Got a lot of angels. Send the angels out. Could you go looking for him? He's hiding out somewhere. He must be having a game of hide and seek with me. Come on, let's go find him, shall we? It's nothing like that. The first question that God asks him is a relationship question. Adam, where are you? I love you. I enjoy meeting together with you. But today you're not there. What has happened in our relationship? Where are you? So often we try to persuade people to think like we think instead of asking questions that find out where are you on your journey? What's going on in your life? What's happening in your world? Where are you? One of the simplest ways you can connect with people is to approach like God did with love, not judgment. Where are you? 
and people will open up if you listen and they'll tell you where they are. I've sat beside people, they've opened up suddenly and they say, I don't even know you and I'm blabbing my whole life to you. Why? Now, why am I doing that? Who are you? So introduce who we are. Why was I just telling you everything? Because you knew I was listening to find where you are in your journey. You can't believe how many times I've had that happen. People just open up when they sense someone cares about them. So when God came to Adam, he didn't come like a lot of Asian fathers would. You, I gave you all these opportunities. He didn't come that way. He just asked this question, where are you? I want to know what's going on in your life. Number one, the relationship question. Second question, because Adam said this, he said, well, this is where I am. I'm afraid because I'm ashamed. So I went and hid. People hide from being loved because there's something in our life we feel ashamed of. There's something we feel is not right. Perhaps it's something you did or perhaps it's something that was done to you but you feel bad about that part of your life and so you hide it. So we try to make an impression. We, we create an illusion and an image of what we are and that's not what we really are at all. That's not authentic living. You can't relate to God without being authentic. So his first questions are, where are you? Why have you got your hands up there waving and saying, praise the Lord, when I know inside you've got something else going on? Talk to me. Tell me where you are. And he came out and he shared. Notice what he shared. He shared his feelings. I'm afraid. I'm ashamed. So I went and hid. So God asked the second question, which is the influence question. Essentially, he said, who told you you were naked? Or putting it another way, what voices and influences have been affecting how you think that you would run away from me when I love you and came here to help you? Who poisoned your mind and filled you with fear of the loving father you have? Yet a lot of people feel that way about God. And sometimes preachers preach that way. But God is loving. God is caring. So he wants to know, where are you? Maybe you're hiding. Maybe you're covered up. Maybe you're hiding behind a tree somewhere. The tree of religion, working hard, serving. And inside you're hurt and grieving and angry and ashamed because something's wrong. Jesus wants to touch that part of your life. The last question he asked was this. Did you eat the fruit of the trees? The responsibility question. He asked him a question to establish have you done anything in your life that would have opened the door to this feelings of fear and shame and have caused you to come under the influence of foreign voices? I have seen this thing happen so many times in churches where people are close together and then something happens. And instead of staying in love, we begin to judge. And then now we're avoiding people who looked after us and loved us and cared for us and shepherded us and influences come into our mind against them to poison us. And now instead of being glad to see them, we're avoiding them. See, the serpent's tricks have never changed. 
If you are walking in the Father's love, you have nothing to conceal, nothing to hide, and you can keep your love for people switched on. The moment you start to listen to another voice and start to take those influences into your heart and don't stay in a place of love, you will withdraw and hide and maybe enter into agreement to be critical and to run down and to gossip and to talk. So God says, where are you? How are you doing? That was quite a long time down there. Because once you stay under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it goes real deep. It goes real deep. So I encourage people not to hurry up off the ground. So God wants you to experience His love. In Romans 5 and verse 5, it says, Now the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So if you want to experience the, the love of God, you're going to experience it in a certain way. You'll experience it in your spirit man within you. In the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, his concept was God is up there. So when he wanted to meet God, he would go up there, climb a mountain. Some people still think that way and they go pray up in high places. Or perhaps you could catch a plane, you'd be even higher there, wouldn't you? We'd catch the plane and pray to God there, would be nearer. But it, it, see, it's, an, it's a wrong concept, it's an old concept, it's obsolete. When Moses came on the scene, God said, we're not going up mountains anymore. We're going to build a house and you can all come and gather at the house and I'll fill it with my presence. I want to be with you. And so for hundreds of years, if you want to be in the presence of God, you had to go to a specific building and had limited access. And then when Jesus came, he said, I am the temple of the living God. If you want to access God, come to me. If you thirst for love, come to me, to the river of God's love. You will have access to the Father. You will have access to the words of affirmation. You will have access to His presence just like I did. How extraordinary. If it's true what Jesus promised, why do so few experience that? Instead, live like an orphan struggling in fear trying to prove themselves or get ahead. I have learned after many years that when you make the focus of your vision and attention, Jesus and his love and his life and his plan for you, he sorts the other things out for you. It doesn't mean you don't work on them. But the, the Bible is very clear when you place Jesus and his kingdom first in your life, the other things everyone else worries about come into your life and get attracted to you. Here we are now. We'll turn 70 next year. I have seven children, 22 grandchildren. And I'm loved by all of them. What more could you want? Well, we have other things too. But of all the things that are important, it's just the loving relationships are the most important. You've got to put your priority first, the love of God. So you can experience the love of the Father. I'll share with you several simple keys how to do it. The first one is desire. You must desire to experience God. I think that my desire for knowing God as a Father probably came 
after we'd given up our daughter Josephine for adoption. And I got saved after that and came to a place of deep repentance. And I began to cry out to God, He would restore our daughter. And God gave me faith to believe that it would happen one day, even though it was impossible. And so as I set my heart to seek after God and to pray for her, God revealed His love as a father. I felt it. I felt the love He has for the children He's lost. So desire is your number one key. Desire, everything starts with desire. David, the greatest king, said in Psalm 27, in verse four, he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might live in the presence of the Lord and inquire and hear and interact with Him and behold His beauty, desire. Here's the second thing will help you. Second thing will help you will be to stir your spirit by praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. If you're going to encounter God, you always encounter Him in your spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you aware of God. And I have found that people underutilize the gift of tongues. But when you pray strongly in the Spirit, the Bible says your spirit is praying as the Holy Spirit gives you language. Your spirit becomes energized with the life of God. Strong praying in the Spirit in entering into praising and worship God lifts your spirit, opens up your spirit where you can begin to engage God. Thirdly, Learn to meditate. Meditate. I, I love the, the, the message that was given a little bit earlier. It talked about fixing your eyes. Now, when you come to worship God or come to engage Him, you need to fix your mind somewhere. If I want to come and talk, and we begin to try, begin to interact with David, and David's looking at me and attentive to me, I can feel it. But if he starts to get distracted by his wife and his mind starts to move away, immediately I feel the disconnection. So at a natural level, if you don't focus your attention, you don't connect. It's the same in the spirit. So if you just pray in tongues or singing a song or whatever, and you don't direct your mind towards God, you won't engage or feel his presence. So the process of being able to direct your thoughts towards the Lord is called meditation. Using your imagination. In Ephesians 1 verse 17, it says, Now God give you a spirit of revelation, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's your imagination. So fix what kind of picture? Picture like you see in a bookshop? No. You take scripture. You take the scripture. You take and there's so many places where Jesus is represented. You could go and look in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1, where John has a vision of Jesus and sees him. Oh, and his hair is white as snow, white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes blazing and burning and alive and full of energy. His countenance shining brightly like the sun, full of life, full of joy. There are a number of places you can see it. But you take time to fix your mind as you worship on the person of Jesus Christ. He came to reveal God's love. Or you could begin to do something like this. You could take the story of the prodigal son. 
in the prodigal son, the son had wasted his life, made a lot of mess ups and eventually came to his senses and he ran back to his father. And as he's running back to his father, he's kind of going a long way. He's wondering how his father will receive him. And the Bible says in Luke 15 and verse 20, it says, and when he was a long way off, Siraj, help me, stand up. When he was a, a long way off, the father saw him. The Bible is very clear that the moment the father saw the son's desire towards him, it initiated his response. You don't have to come near to God thinking he's going to be angry at you. He's not angry at you. He's never angry at you. He loves you. When that son was coming, just make a couple of steps. He was broken down. He wasn't dressed all like that. He'd be mixing with the pigs. His clothes were in tattered and he smelt. And the Bible says when the father saw him, he was a long way off. You, you can only see someone a long way off if you're waiting for them to come. The father loves people so much, he's wanting us to make any sign of coming towards him. And it says, then he ran. He ran to the son. And the Bible says he embraced his son like that and kissed him. <laughs> Held him. And he wouldn't let the son talk very much. He said, my son was dead and he's alive. He didn't make any reference to the smell. He didn't make any reference to the waste of money. He didn't make any reference to the way he'd ruined his life with prostitutes. He said, my son's come back. And he let's celebrate. He restored his son. That's what the father's love looks like. So why don't you, when you're praying and you're coming into the presence of God as a father, you take that particular verse and memorize it and then realize as you step out like that, that the father moves to you hold you and embrace you. Why don't you do that? It's all right. Come on over. Come, 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 come. This is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. Face me. But just close your eyes. Now just begin to pray quietly in the Spirit. Just pray quietly in the Spirit. Now, in your mind, I want you to picture what you just experienced. But this time, it's a heavenly father. Sometimes the best way to imagine him is to see him. Jesus is the express image of the father. So just look, try to see his countenance, his eyes, shining with love for you. He loves you. He looks right into you and sees you and accepts you. And he loves you. His countenance full of joy. He loves you. He's so glad that you have come to meet with him. And he reaches to you to hug you. Tell you, Siraj, I love you. You are my son. I love you dearly. I am delighted with you. Just let it, let it come into your spirit. As it comes into your spirit, 
you'll feel the presence of God touching you, overwhelming you with His love. Now don't get up, stay there in that place. So in just a moment, just by stirring His Spirit and fixing His mind with desire, He was able to experience God's love. He probably won't want to get up for a while now. Sometimes there are things hinder our, our ability to experience like that. Maybe we have issues in our heart against a natural father that need to be resolved. Release forgiveness. Let it go. It's just junk in your life. It stops you accessing the good things. Don't make what someone did that failed the focus of your life. Make the goodness of God the focus of your life. You have a father who loves you. He's available. All you have to do is respond. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Father, we feel your love filling the atmosphere in this place. I know, Father, there are young men and women from broken homes, angry with their natural father. And they have every right to feel angry. Father, abandon them life has been very difficult and there's been a lot of shame there's others here their father was very angry and he's hurt you deeply there's others here and your father was very cold it was not the warmth we spoke of tonight that was not your experience and there are others whose fathers betrayed the family abandon your mother and yourselves to go to someone else the pain is almost like something you don't want to remember there are others and maybe you were just abandoned before birth or at birth there are others maybe your father was physically violent with you those are things you need to be willing to let go of my forgiveness they're stopping you encountering God's love They're a place of pain. They're a place you've covered and where you're hiding. But tonight you don't need to do that anymore because your Father is coming to you with love saying, where are you? What influences are you listening to? The voice of anger, the voice of bitterness, the voice of disappointment, the voice of abandonment, the voice of loneliness and rejection, the voice of anger, the voice of physical violence and fear, the voice of abuse. You don't have to listen to those voices anymore. You could let them all go tonight. Or perhaps there's others and you've just had to work so hard and it's been such a struggle. God wants you to know He loves you. He wants to connect with you. To break that mindset, I'm on my own. And to bring you revelation you loved. We're going to give an opportunity for people to come forward. Who would like to just open their heart to encounter the Father's love on this Father's Day. If you perhaps have an issue with your Father you need to resolve. Say tonight I need to deal with it. Perhaps there's others here 
and there's something you're wrestling with that's got you in a prison, you say, it's an addiction. You say, tonight, I need to deal with it. I need God to love me. I want to come to Him like the prodigal son did. I want to rise up out of the pigsty and come to my loving Father. I want to be restored. Perhaps before we have that altar call, there may be someone here who's never even given their life to Christ. I'd love to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord. If there's anyone, just raise your hand, give me a wave. I'd love to pray for you especially. If there's anyone here wanting to receive Jesus, you're not yet a Christian. Well, Father, I just thank you for your presence here right now. I know you're going to touch many, many people. Why don't we just stand right now? Musicians are going to lead us in a song just about the love of God or something like that. And those people today who felt God touching you, and you know there's something you need to get rid of, something to let go of. You're hiding from the Father's love. You're hiding from love because there's fear or shame. There's something that you don't like about yourself, something that someone did to you, something you have done, something you're attached to, something that's holding you back. And you say, God, I tonight I'm coming to you. Would you do that? Would you make your way out of your seat and come to the front right now? Please come.